This is episode number 73 with former left-hand pitcher Eric Surkamp. Eric is currently a real estate agent, um, is actually working on uh, selling his first house, which is pretty neat. He talks a little about that in, in this episode. Um, he is a former Major League Baseball player as well. Um, we get into that, bouncing around to different teams um, throughout his career. And actually, his last year playing, he uh, went over to Korea and played and shared some pretty, pretty interesting stories about how they, they had to practice over there. So, um, Eric Surkamp, left-handed pitcher, now a real estate agent. Here he is. All right, and we are now live with Eric Surkamp, who is now a real estate agent, correct? Yes. So you just got done showing a house. Have you sold any houses lately? I have not sold any houses yet. Um, I've shown quite a few, and it's coming. Um, I'm just learning a lot right now. I'm really excited. Um, it's been it's been a lot of fun. It's more, you know, it, it's re- really not what I expected. It's a lot more of... Uh, building relationships with people and I feel like it's challenging challenging me to reconnect with a lot of people that may have not talked to as much as I would have liked to over the years with being in and out of Cincinnati for baseball and so it's just reconnecting with everybody and um, meeting up for coffee or lunch or whatever it is and trying to build those relationships with people um, has been a lot of fun. How long have you been doing this for? So I started my license was went active two weeks ago. Oh, you just started. Yeah, so I finished my undergrad degree at North Carolina State in June and moved back to Cincinnati, started my real estate classes immediately, and uh, got my got my license through, or took the classes through Hondros through an online program, knocked those out in about three and a half weeks, and then went and took the test. And So you knew you wanted to be in real estate for how long, would you say, while you were at uh, North Carolina State? Last year? Um, yes. While I was at North Carolina State, that's kind of the angle that I was going towards. I didn't know if I wanted to do commercial or residential. And kind of just personal interests of mine, wanting to get into investment properties, um, you know, help other people use that as a retirement tool for themselves. I was a finance major at NC State, so um, I always saw the benefits that real estate could bring to you. And so it's... I don't know. I've always enjoyed looking at homes and um, everything that comes along with it. So um, I really just started angling that way probably this last 12 months. Um, Was it a tough transition from baseball into just working, doing like a regular nine to five job? You know, it was really it was a nice buffer going back to college, as weird as that sounds. It kind of gets your gets your brain back in. Um, working mode, studying mode, because, you know, I would read books here and there when I was playing, but, you know, all of the knowledge that you're retaining is, you know, baseball oriented. Um, so getting your brain back to working and with numbers and finance and stuff like that um, was really beneficial and just establishing, I don't know, I wouldn't say work, work ethic, a, a different kind of work ethic. Um, you know, baseball was obviously more revolved around the physical side of things where school and, and this is more mental. And um, so just getting back in that routine or really establishing a routine at school of getting up early, 
Um, yeah. Where is to, yeah, baseball, yeah, baseball yeah. life, yeah. you're sleeping in until 11 every day, and then you're at the field until almost midnight. So just really just getting back in on that schedule. Well, you just – the reason I, I kind of bring that up is you hear – a lot of people or a lot of players, former players, they have a tough transition back into the real world. And um, seems like you, you know, you're pretty happy now. You, you know, you've transitioned well. Have you heard of guys or played with guys who are struggling to kind of figure it out once they're done with baseball? Yeah. Uh, you always kind of, you always heard it too while you were playing. Um, and so I think something that maybe I'm a little more aware of and, and you know, I, I had a great career, but I also realized that there, I still have a lot of years ahead of me and I want to be successful in my next career. And so that's kind of my, my driving, my driving force is, you know, I don't, I don't want to just coast by. I want to be successful in what I do next. And, um, you know, I, I think for guys, it's, it's just the unknown of it. That is the scary thing uh, because baseball is all you, you've really worked for. And, you know, I, I tell people all the time, they ask me, like, you know, was baseball really something that you wanted to do? And I could, like, I could genuinely say that even when I was in college, I, you know, being in the business school, I never, back in 2005 to 2008, I never had any other thought in my mind other than being a Major League Baseball player. Um, and then you kind of, when that stops, you have to, all right, you know, refocus and find your next goal in life. And um, I think that's important. So just establishing goals in, in this career, something to work towards. Was playing in the major leagues everything that you had, had hoped for? Yeah, it was it was awesome. It was an unbelievable experience. Um, unfortunately, you know, I wish I wish I could have stayed there. Um, it's it's hard to get to the big leagues, but it's not nearly as hard as it is to, you know, compete at that level and stay there. Um, it was, you know, got to experience some things that I'll probably never get to do again. Yeah. Um, just the way you're treated, it's, you know, you get wined and dined and, um, it was neat, but, um, you know, I just blessed that I got the opportunity to be up there really. Why do you think, or if, I guess if you could go back to like the beginning of your career, um, as a pitcher, um, what would you do differently? Cause you talk, you know, you just said, you wish you could have stayed there longer. Is there anything you think maybe if you would have done earlier on or changed that maybe you could have stayed? Looking back on it, I think I got got my own way a little bit. Um, more mentally than anything, I, you know, I had a lot of time. Just You just find yourself reflecting on it over, you know, once you're not playing anymore, it's, you're asking yourself the question that you just asked me, and it's, I think more than anything is like I got away from what I did well. Um, I I think I became I kind of fell into the rabbit hole that everybody else was getting obsessed with the velocity and yeah. stuff like that, and that was never who I was. And I think I was trying to, you know, I was changing my workout regimen. I was changing my throwing programs. I was doing all these things to try to find extra velo when that wasn't what made me successful in the first place. You know, I was a pitcher, high school, college. You know, I could touch 90, but I would sit 87 to 89 on most games. And, you know, I was finesse. I was hitting my spots, change up, really good curveball. And then all of a sudden when you're trying to throw a little bit harder, yeah, you might 
you know, out of the bullpen, you might consistently be 90, but you know, it really doesn't make a difference. Um, and, and then you lose the control and everything that goes along with it. So, um, that was the one thing that, you know, it's, it's just so hard to realize that in the moment. Um, yeah. it's easy looking back on it now, but I think, I think that that's the one thing that I wish, um, I could have done differently, I guess. One of the things that you, you hear a lot about in professional baseball, and I never played affiliated, you know, at all, just low level in the independent leagues, is there's not a ton of, of good coaching. Is that a myth or is that true in your experience? Um, you know what? I think I was blessed in the fact I, I came into a really good situation with the Giants, and they were the team that drafted me in 2008. 2009, I went to um, Low A in Augusta, Georgia, and my pitching coach was Steve Klein, left-handed reliever, longtime Cardinals guy. Most most people know him because he was the guy that had the real dirty hat. Um, he, <laughs> I don't know. That's just what everybody remembers him for having. But he uh, he was just off of playing. I think I think he was two years out from playing, and he he walked in to be a pitching coach. And he was awesome. And, you know, he I probably learned the most about pitching from him more than anybody. And he was a pitching coach that was never going to change your mechanics. Um, he was, you know, it was all about just teaching you how to pitch, sequences, um, the mental game behind it. And then, honestly, as I switched organizations and – um, I had some great pitching coaches at the at the big league level. When I got to the big leagues with the Giants, Dave Rigetti, he was amazing. Um, but then I, once I switched organizations, I think, you know, everyone would try to put their stamp on you, I guess, and try to – because, you know, I'll be the first to admit, I didn't have success at the big league level. So everyone was trying to find a way for me to have success. And, and then they and would have been the They guy. were genuinely yeah. trying to help me out. But at the same time, I was getting away, I think, a little bit from, you know, I was changing mechanics to try to create velocity, really. Trying to change, you know, for a little while there, right after I left with the White Sox, it was trying to change the arm action. And, you know, that's something that you develop over years of throwing right. a baseball. And um, as soon as you're thinking about what your body is doing, you completely lose focus on how, you're supposed, how you want to execute the pitch. And when your mind goes to what's happening over the rubber instead of what's going to be happening at the plate, that's when you're going to be completely lost. Did you, um, when you were back in, in San Francisco, was Barry Zito there? Yep. He was there? Uh-huh. How was he as a teammate? He was a great guy. He stay off the weed? <laughs> he couldn't stay off the weed. I think he, yeah, I don't, I don't think Zito was on the weed. Really? No. <laughs> Dude, I've pretty, I thought he signed that big deal and he went to San Francisco and, no, I think that's kind of a. I don't. Is that a myth? That's I think a myth. that's a myth. Yeah, maybe that's just the San Francisco culture. Yeah, that, that might have been it. Um, yeah, Zito was. So I think in 2011, he was hurt um, when I came up. So I don't. He wasn't playing, and then 2012 played with him, um, just like in spring training and stuff like that. Uh, he had a really good spring and. Um, you know, he was always really nice to me where he probably could have had every reason not to be. I was a, a younger left-handed yeah. pitcher and, you know, not that he had anything to worry about, but, um, what about, uh, what about Bumgarner? 
Baumgartner was a great guy. Great guy? Yeah. Because you see him on TV, and he's always pissed off at somebody. or I mean, he does drop tanks, too, when he's hitting. But, I mean, he's always getting in an argument with, with some umpire or hitter or something. Yeah, I mean, he's, de- he's definitely, I wouldn't say, like, I wouldn't say an intimidating person. But it was weird in the sense that, you know, he was younger than me. But, you know, he was established in the big leagues by then as, like, a you know, a great starting pitcher. Um He's just a country boy. He's just a, one, a good old boy from North Carolina. He, funny story about him. He would be in our spring training hotel. Um, when I was first drafted, there was a Days Inn that was on the backside of anybody listening that has been to Fashion Square Mall in Phoenix, Arizona. The Days Inn was on the backside of it. It was a motel, an open courtyard in the middle of it. And Bumgarner would bring a fake bull out there and he would rope in the middle of the courtyard because in the off season he would participate in little mini rodeos and stuff in North Carolina. Really? Yeah. Damn. Sounds like risking it, risking a, uh, an injury, you know, tying off a a calf or whatever, but well, what he got injured not that long ago for doing something like that. It was like a was he? I think it was a, a dirt bike. It was a dirt bike. Okay. Yeah. So he's a little risk taker. That's all right. So after you were with the, the Giants and the White Sox, then you went to the Dodgers back out to California. What was mm-hmm. how was that like? It was great. I I only played one game with the Dodgers, um, but I probably the Oklahoma City the AAA team was probably some of the most fun I've ever had playing. We were we were a very good team. It was uh, a veteran-heavy AAA lineup. I think our payroll, our payroll in AAA, was close to what the Marlins were that year. It was maybe, uh, maybe not because of Stanton, but it one of the bottom-level teams in the big leagues. Our payroll was close to that. I think it was close to twenty million dollars. What AAA? Yeah, we had Darwin Barney was making a couple million there. We had Chris Heisey, a former Red, was yeah. there making. 1.5 million. Uh, Scott Baker was there making a million. Um, Trevor Cahill was still on his his deal from uh, I think it was the Diamondbacks. Um, we had there were other guys too, and it was yeah it was pretty wild. And we were really good, and it was fun. Locker room was loose. Um, well, we had Miguel. Oliveira, he was a Cuban guy making like ten mil a year. It was, it was pretty insane. <laughs> How was uh, is AAA pretty like pretty much separate from the minor league system in terms of like how you travel and like you stay and stuff? I know it's obviously not the big leagues, but is it a lot better than like Double A, Single A, all that? It's definitely better. The the travel, so the international league is a little bit better than the Pacific Coast League. Um, the international league, you have towns that are a little bit closer together. More you stay on the East Coast. Um, you know, Carolina's up to the Northeast than Ohio, Columbus. Whereas the Pacific Coast League, I mean, was all the way from New Orleans, Nashville to Tacoma, Washington, which Jeez. is outside of Seattle. So it got to sometimes the travel would be rough in the PCL because it was a league mandated rule that you had to take the earliest flight out in case of delays. So a lot of days it was, you're playing a night game, you get out of the field at 1130 or whatever, 
and you go back to the hotel, you got to wake up at three or three thirty to take a bus to the airport for a five a.m. flight or a five thirty a.m. flight. So and it, then play that day. And then play that day. Oh, that's brutal. So it was definitely, I mean, you're flying on commercial flights. It's not a chartered flight like the big leagues. Um, sometimes if it was close enough, I think if it was under six to six hours or something, we would take a bus. And it was usually a sleeper bus where you could lay down. Um, so it was definitely better than double A. And definitely, you know, the minor, the low-level minor leagues, low A. I remember in Augusta, Georgia, we played in was it what was the Hagerstown Maryland I forget the farthest trip I, I want to say it was even farther north than that but it was like a 14 hour ride um, and it was tough and I do not believe that it was a sleeper bus it was just a normal chartered bus and what's the what's the per diem on the road in the minors do you guys have one I think it's changed recently um, I believe that it was $20 originally. It might be up to $25 a day, a day on the road. And then the big leagues. But you also, yep, yep, big leagues, 96 or something like that. But out of the money in the, out of the, money in the minor leagues, you also had to pay clubhouse dues, which, depending on the level, were different. So I can't remember exactly because it was always changing. But so of your $20 in low A, it might have been five bucks a day for clubhouse dues, so it's really fifteen bucks you get. So it's like but once meal. you're in AAA, it's like twelve bucks a day, and you still get the same amount of money. So that clubby is just raking in cash. Yeah, well, out of that money comes the food that they provide. If they don't have it, you know, sponsored by somebody. Yeah, yeah. He provides you know a meal before the game and a post game meal. How are um, the meals in the Myers? The, I've, seen, the, I've seen some rough pictures. Yeah, before. the low levels, it was a lot of PB&J and eggs. As a meal? Egg salad, tuna salad, pregame. And then after the games, a lot of the clubbies to save money would have it catered down by the concession stand. So it would be a lot of cheeseburgers and chicken tenders. And um, It's funny, you know, I, when I went to the Dodgers, they are, you know, more on the cutting edge with, the biomechanics side of it with working out as well as the nutritional side of it. So they budgeted in, um, I believe all the way from short season, all the way up to triple a every level they would budget in a, I think it would, I want to say $2 million for the year to provide good food to the players where the players did not have to pay when they were on the road. So, uh, you know, you wouldn't have to, get you wouldn't have a bad clubby that would serve you crap that you couldn't eat you'd always get a healthy meal with the dodgers which was a you know a plus because you know all these teams they want you to perform at peak shape they're trying to develop talent that's going to help them at the big league level you know you got to feed your body the right way if you want to produce athletes never Uh, understood that why more teams don't do that money (laughs) you know i mean it's like i know and more going towards that I've heard of more adopting that that philosophy, and I mean it's it, it makes sense. Speaking of uh, biomechanics, you're now going to be uh, coaching again um, this upcoming summer. Have you kind of really gotten into the biomechanics of pitching? I mean, since you're just now becoming a coach, or was that something? Uh, maybe as a player you looked at, you see Trevor Bauer and he's like the forefront of all that. But I mean, I'm mm-hmm. just kind of curious what, what your take is on it. 
my take on it is each person is unique and your body can only do what you know it can do and you know my body works differently than yours that's why we throw a baseball different so um, when it comes to pitching you know you, you try to tell a kid to do something you know he physically might not be able to move like that um, you know you, you kind of you almost I don't want you groove like an arm pattern you groove a swing um, you kind of like that neuro pattern that you develop over time and so I think I think by changing things in the weight room will automatically change things on the field. You know, you fix your hips, you know, you improve your gait pattern. You're all of a sudden, now you're moving better. You're, you know, everything's connected, the kinetic chain. You, you fix your hips, your shoulders feel better. Um, and now all of a sudden you're swinging a bat different and you're more connected and uh, the same thing with pitching. Um, so I think if you, if you fix your body in the weight room and with preventative and corrective exercises, then it's naturally going to change what you do on the field. Um, I just have such a hard time, you know, mechanically, if you're trying to really like make a change and it's something that you can do, it has to be done in the off season. Cause like, like I said before, it's like, as soon as you start to try to make an adjustment while you're on the mound mechanically, you completely lose the execution of the pitch. And especially when you're at the big league level, I mean, those hitters are, are no joke. When right. you would prepare before a game, um, was there like scouting reports, like how you were going to attack each hitter and things like that? Or what would they kind of set up for you? Yeah, you have every tool in the in the book that you want. I mean, there was books on every hitter. Uh, you can get on, on the database that they have, and you could – I don't know what – it goes back – 30 years I mean you can watch video like way back um, on anybody and they have every pitch ever thrown on a video system um, you can pull you know you can narrow the search results to you know fastballs in a 3-1 count on the inner half of the plate I mean you can see anything you want um, before a game so a lot of times in between starts as a starter you would scout for the next team you're going to face and you pull up and for me, I would try to watch a pitcher who was comparable to me, kind of through through the same arm arm angle, arm action, same p type of pitches, um, and the same velocity. But then day of the start, usually the pitching coach or the bullpen coach, usually it was the pitching coach, would go over the lineup with you and the starting catcher and try to develop a plan for the hitter. Um, I actually, you know, I would always sit there and listen, but I was more comfortable with, just the catcher, to, you know, really absorbing that information and having a plan and him calling the game, just having less stuff in my head to, to worry about and trying to outthink myself um, was the better was better for me. Yeah, that's what I was going to bring up. I was like, well, maybe it could be too much information. Yeah. You start thinking like you were talking about before on the mound, thinking about mechanics and everything. Right. Because um, even if you throw a pitch that a guy might statistically hit, you know, 300 on, you know, there's a good chance that he's not going to, not going to get a hit on that pitch. But, you know, when you start to get in your head thinking, Oh, I cannot throw it there. Then all of a sudden you start to become too fine and, you know, right, w right. walks happen and you could just get tight. And Was there ever a hitter who came up to bat and you're on the mound? You're like, Oh shit. <laughs> like this dude's up. 
Yeah, a lot of them. Um, <laughs> oh, man, I, I had a lot of homers hit off me in the big leagues. You know, like, I, I don't know if I ever got Mike Trout out. Um, I might have gotten Pujols out a few times. I pitched more against American League teams, so I'm trying to think of um, – you know, I think th those guys are just such big figures and, you know, you, know, you grow up watching Albert Pujols yeah. play and all of a sudden he's in the box and you kind of like, all right, like this is pretty cool. Um, I don't think, I think the competitor in you, you, you always think you can get somebody out. You know, one of, like, one of my favorite memories is, um, I mean, a good memory and a bad memory because it turned bad really quick. I let off the inning struck out Victor Martinez against the Tigers. Miguel Cabrera comes up to the plate, the next batter, struck him out. And, you know, I'm all jacked up. I mean, those two guys, I think they were both hitting like 340 that year. Yeah, that was the year Miguel was yeah. incredible. It was the year Victor Martinez. I think it was his contract year, and he was tearing it up. And then, so it's like two outs, and, you know, oh, all right. You know, you kind of let off a little bit. Nick Castellanos comes up, double. Um, next guy single and it's like boom next guy single all of a sudden you've given up two runs and you're like damn how did that happen so fast <laughs> after you know you just the highs to the lows so quickly and that is that is interesting how 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 humble the, the game can can make you after um you you so you went back let's see you went to korea but that was you started out that season in the minors correct and then you asked for your release so I started with Oakland. Uh, they had uh, they had assigned me to AAA out of spring training, and um, but they had brought me along. They never really sent me down to minor league camp. Um, they took me to what was called the Bay Series, which is the Giants and, and the uh, A's play. Is it two games um, before the season starts, the, like the last two exhibitions of spring training. So I, I went up there, and they play them in the Bay Area. So I went up there with the team. Um, Felix Dubron was supposed to be the fifth starter, and he came out. He was starting the last exhibition series game, and he came out and blew out his elbow in the first inning. And I was sitting in the bullpen available to pitch. I came in, and I pitched seven innings out of the bullpen and gave up – I think it was seven shutout, maybe two hits in seven innings, and threw awesome. And so I ended up, they technically assigned me to the minor leagues, but I made, I think it was the, I started the fifth game of the season, which was the opening day for the Mariners in Seattle, which was a pretty neat experience. So um, I was on the, I was in the big leagues for the first two months or so. I had eight starts, I think, and once again didn't do very well and I got sent back and forth and then I kind of I bounced back and forth after that um, a few times between AAA and there and then so how do you how does that happen where you go from um, playing in the big leagues and the minor leagues and then a Korean team Korea. is, is interested in you yeah so when I was I was designated for assignment by Oakland taking off the 40-man roster the Texas Rangers claim me um, because they had a need for a lefty they had somebody that was hurt but they were coming off the dl in like a week and so they pretty much they were going to send me to AAA as basically an insurance policy and they told my agent that a korean team had contacted them asking if they could purchase my contract and they were actually gracious enough to 
you know, tell my agent that and basically told him like, Hey, this is just a short term thing where we're picking Eric up. We just need him as an insurance piece. If he wants to pursue this opportunity, we're happy to let him go. So they were really cool about it. And so at that point we just started negotiating with the team in Korea and, you know, really my agent took care of all that. They had somebody actually on their staff that spoke Korean that could, you know, handle all that stuff. And it went from there and it was like, I want to say within a week I was in Korea um, from the moment that I was designated with Oakland. What was that like? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was, it was pretty, pretty wild. It was definitely culture shock. Um, Asian culture is very different. It was, it was a neat experience. Um, I, I developed, a, you know, respect for the guys who come over here from other countries and, you know, integrate into the culture and society and are thrust into a locker room full of American guys. Um, I was the only American guy on my team. We had two other players from the Dominican Republic who spoke, spoke pretty good English. Um, so I could talk to them, but they also had their families with them. So when we would leave the field, they would go with their families. I was over there by myself and, um, it just got to be, I don't know. It was, I, I wasn't pitching great at the time. Um, the manager was a 74 year old, um, very old school, uh, Korean, um, Japanese baseball culture where, you know, practice, 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 you know, hundreds hitters would hit BP for five hours before the game, five hours. They would show up at 11 or noon for a 7 PM or six thirty PM game and they would literally hit and they don't hit rounds of five or 10 or whatever. They will literally stand in the box and hit hundreds of balls. What? Yes, it is insane. We had, there was this one game we played, we got beat. We were on the road about four hours away from our home city, played a day game, got out of the, also over there, you don't shower really at the stadium you shower at the hotels which is different there's no real law at home you you shower in the locker room but on the road you there's no locker rooms for visiting teams so you go back to the hotel you were staying in shower and then you go on the road back to your home city um, and you have your meal at the hotel and everything like that well that day he, the manager was so pissed off that the position players didn't shower they hopped right on the bus drove four hours mind you it was probably 98 degrees with 100% humidity. They're covered in sweat. Drove four hours back home and practiced until like three in the morning. What? Yeah, and they gave them, I think it was like a Burger King cheeseburger <laughs> for the ride home and then went straight onto the field, practiced under the lights all night long on ground balls and hitting and everything like that. And, you know, the manager ended up getting fired a year later. Um, which was bound to happen because he just was stuck in the old days. And, um, but I'm overall, I'm happy I did it. It was the, the one thing that I, I really regret is that I didn't really have a chance to see the country. You know, we, we would travel to some, you know, Seoul and Busan and all these cool towns that had a lot of stuff going on, but we didn't have one off day in, in three months I was there. Not one? Not one. It was a league-wide off day every Monday, but we had to practice every Monday, so I could never really leave town to go see anything. I mean, you can get on the bullet train, you can get across the country in four hours, and 
So it was, I don't know. It, you know, I would have loved to have seen the DMZ and um, there was parts of Seoul that when we would, there was three teams around Seoul. So that was probably the city I got to see the most. Um, part of town called Itaewon where, you know, it was very Americanized. A lot of the military spouses and stuff go over there and are waitresses and bartenders and stuff like that. So that was cool. What was the um, pitch count like for pitchers? Was it similar to hitters where they just didn't even care? Yeah, yeah. There was there was really really no pitch count. As a foreign player, more a little more so because you could kind of tell them like, hey, and I, I got to the point, so I got taken out of the starting rotation at one point, and they put me in the bullpen. And, you know, I hadn't been a reliever all year. You know, with Oakland, I was a starter. And over there, when I first got there, I was a starter. And then all of a sudden, they threw me four, I think it was four straight games. And they were trying to throw me for a fifth straight day. And I, like, told them, like, I, I can't throw. <laughs> and, like, I probably shouldn't throw the next day either. Um, but with, with the built in quote unquote off day on Monday, they, <laughs> they really like, they maximize their players in, you know, those six days that we, we, we would have guys, I would feel so bad for some of the relievers. They would literally throw 11 out of 12 days and they would be complaining about their arm hurt. But as a Korean, you can't say anything to the manager. So in Asian or Korean culture, you cannot speak or you're not supposed to really speak to your elders unless they approach you and speak to you. Um, so you saying that your arm hurts is, you know, kind of a sign of weakness is that that's how he looked at it. And, you know, if they were so afraid to say something that they would get sent to the minor leagues, um, there would be pitchers warming up in the bullpen before the first pitch of the game was thrown by the pitcher because the manager, if we saw, we saw a pitcher over there throw two pitches and was taken out of the game before he had even finished the first batter. What? Yep. It was, it was wild baseball. What the hell? And games took about four and a half hours. Oh, all dirt fields. Um, no, not all dirt fields. No. A lot of grass infield. Did uh, they have the, the batting cages set up where there was two turtles next to each other on the screen when the, during the, BP? Um, I'm trying to think. So at home, they would have like four or five guys hitting, and they would just have them blocked off by different screens. Really? And so, yeah, there'd be four or five guys hitting at once on the field. What was the BP? Was it actually a guy throwing like live hard so, to him? Or? So they would have usually like two guys throwing – they would have a curveball machine or a couple curveball machines. And then it was literally so, you know, their BP group, it would say five guys, they would all be hitting and they would all hit for 45 minutes. What? So that was one group. And so that's why I said they would hit for four or five hours before a game. So, like, would you just be in the outfield the whole time shagging? No, we, did, we didn't have to shag. Oh, okay. Yeah. That, that would have been right. That would have been bad. Right. That's insane. Yeah, it was crazy. Jeez. Korean baseball, <laughs> nuts. What um, was the pay? Pretty similar. Like I've heard that some guys have, have been offered some Americans like good money to go over there. I know Chris Colbell when he was in any ball or something, maybe in the minors with Toronto was offered some decent money. Like do most of those guys over there make decent money? Yeah, yeah. A lot of them make um, make really good money. The foreign players. Um, we had a guy. 
a lot of it too is incentives. They really throw in incentives in your contract more than they do in the United States. We had a, uh, the Dominican player, Willen Rosario, played for the Rockies. He was a catcher, first baseman. He had like 37 home runs over there, and he had a, a home run incentive that he would get, and it was, you know, it was like, I think it was like 10 grand a home run or something, but it capped at $200,000. And then he got a bonus for, you know, clearing a hundred RBIs. And so I remember, you know, he took us out to, uh, when he hit one of his bonuses, he took us out to like Wolfgang Puck Steakhouse in Seoul. <laughs> and it was crazy beef over there. Super expensive. It was like $200 for a, a steak at the restaurant. Jesus. It was insane. Holy but smokes. he wasn't too worried about it. I heard, uh, I heard if you get sent down the miners over there, like the miners is like, way way different oh yeah i experienced that oh you did i did yeah i not a great experience it was basically spring training every day waking up very very early going out on the field doing your thing um and then just like bored all afternoon just hanging out watched a lot of netflix you know there'd be a game but a lot of time like if you weren't pitching you wouldn't go to it it wasn't, you know, it's not where fans are at or anything like that. Um, but I had a room that, you know, the plumbing is different over there. So I had just, you know, a foul, rotten smell coming out of oh. my pipes. And it was, um, I've had better experiences than that. I was very happy to get called back up to their major league team. Jeez, man, that's, I mean, I guess you always get to say you get to, you know, you got to play in Korea, but that's, that's tough. Now you've, you've played professional baseball for several years, played the United States and Korea, favorite teammate. Favorite teammate. (laughs) That's a hard one. Played for so many different teams. Yeah, yeah. Um. Probably a guy by the name of Scott Carroll is probably who I'm closest with today. Um, we've kept stayed in touch the longest. Uh, he was a prospect with the Reds back in the day and then um, got to the big leagues with the White Sox. Probably, I would say him. I mean, bouncing around to so many teams, you made a lot, you made so many friends. Right. Um, you know, not a ton of close friends, I guess. The Giants guys I was probably closest with just because you spent the most time coming up through the minor leagues with them. And, you know, that's as bad as the food might have been or the living conditions or not getting paid hardly anything. It was still the most fun because you're young. A lot of you didn't have responsibilities or families to worry about. And, you know, you're just traveling the country playing baseball and having a good old time and um so you really develop some good relationships then so i mean i i still keep in touch with a bunch of giants guys who'd you come up with in that organization um what do you mean? Like, like player wise yeah, yeah so i was the same draft you know as like buster posey and brandon crawford but oh, okay. they were in the big leagues a lot faster than buster he was the they, same he's the same age as you mm-hmm. geez seems like he's been there forever right is he a good guy it really dates me yeah, he's a very nice guy. Yeah. Yep, Brandon Crawford was that year. Um, we had a pretty good draft class. Roger Kieschnick got to the big leagues. Um, and then um, I'm just trying to think, like, 
in the minor leagues, guys that I would have played with. Chris Heston, he threw a no-hitter against the, I think it was the Mets in the big leagues. Um, there's so many guys. It's it's honestly, it's hard to remember who played for who at the time. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> because sure. You, guys change in and out. You might play with 50 guys by the end of a season. That's nuts. Yeah. Last question. How many houses do you want to sell this next year? <laughs> Um, let's go 20, 20, 20, 20 houses. All right. So I heard it here first I'd Like to sell 20 houses, possibly buy a few for myself as investments and start to build a little real estate empire. Love it. Hey, really appreciate it, man. Yeah. Thank you for having me.